Well, I've got stories about almost all these houses, so I'll just, we'll just do a tour of okay. Woodbine. This is my neighbor, Beth. We're walking around near her house in the Woodbine neighborhood of Nashville. She's telling me about all of the neighbors she's met over the years. She's a nice person, the kind that would see something wrong and do something about it. A few years ago, when I saw this wonderful dog at a rental house. The owners had moved out and left it behind. But the situation was a little ambiguous because they were coming back once a week or so to feed it. Now, most people would maybe call animal control or try to get a hold of the owners. But Beth saw this dog out in the hot sun every day and starving. So I hopped the fence and I just took him. And now he has a wonderful life in Illinois. (laughs) That's probably stealing and that's probably wrong, but this dog was abandoned and I just hopped the fence and put him in my car with a couple girlfriends and we just made out like a bat out of hell. I'm not saying I'm not saying this is good or bad, but like there is a certain assessment or judgment that happens in these scenarios to help people. And so, like, do, do you ever think about that? Like, what if I'm getting my assessment way wrong? Is it still worth it? Yeah, my conscience gets to me a bit, but I also weigh the good versus the bad. And the good in that scenario was this dog is no longer starving and in the sun. The bad is I stole someone's dog. which is, as I said that out loud, is pretty terrible. But I don't lose sleep over that. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you're listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today's story, The Fence Jumper. Most people might think it's not worth the trouble to intervene in someone else's life. But we'll get to know a woman who sees that obstacle and will do everything she can to jump right over it. Hello. Hello. Beth lives a little over a mile from me in Nashville. She's a graphic designer and has lots of hobbies like keeping bees and playing on a soccer team. Called the Ball Busters. With a bunch of women, 30-year-old women, just huffing and puffing on the field. I've known Beth for about seven years. We see each other at parties or local restaurants, and her boldness has kind of earned her a reputation. Where, Where did that start? Getting myself into weird situations? I think I was born with it. Beth grew up in a small town in Illinois, and as a six-year-old kid, what was her hobby? Well, she'd get up every morning, hop on her bike, and... Find houses that I didn't uh, know who the owners were, and I would usually make up some excuse to knock on the door. <laughs> Something like, can I have a glass of water? Or, can I use your bathroom? Some people would let me in, and some people wouldn't. <laughs> I would frequently find myself on other people's jungle gyms in their backyard, just thinking that this was normal, and of course I could do this. You mean like there was no boundary, like this was as much yours as it was theirs to to play on? Yeah, I had absolutely no concept of boundaries. (laughs) And I still don't think I do. 
Beth's unconventional gumption was kind of like a superpower, leading her to discover things that others might not. I do remember there was this house that all the neighborhood kids thought either it was haunted or it was just kind of condemned looking. And no one really knew who lived there. It was just kind of like a scene out of a movie. And I remember one day riding my bike up to the house and thinking, I'm just going to knock on this door. So I knocked on the door. They invited me in and ended up being an elderly couple. These people were really wonderful and not scary and not witches. And, <laughs> and it was great. The years passed by, more doors were knocked on, and she moved to Nashville. She became a graphic designer, not a career where you have a lot of contact with strangers. She thought that a good way to use her job to connect with people was to work at a nonprofit, one she believed in. She applied and worked for a couple of different ones. But here's the thing. It wasn't quite what she hoped for. She was helping, but it was for this larger abstract mission. It was indirect. There was no contact with the people she was assisting. I had been searching and searching and searching for this like, so-called dream job, and I started to realize that I was super discontent about life and like why couldn't I find a job where I could just um, help people <laughs> for a living. And so then I just realized, why don't I just do it myself? I can just do this myself on a daily basis. Was, was there a moment when you thought, felt free of it or like there was a perspective switch? Actually, yes, there was a... I remember exactly when the perspective switch happened. I was driving home from Goodwill and I saw this elderly man in the middle of summer walking with this giant bag of dog food and I just thought, this shouldn't be happening. So I pulled over and I offered him a ride and I found out his name was John. And I realized that picking up strangers in your car isn't, like, the best thing to do. But he was elderly, and um, I just felt very safe. So I gave him a ride, and I learned a little bit about his life, dropped him off at home. And I had this realization that having my eyes open and attention to the world around me, rather than being super discontent of what I don't have, can fulfill that that need in me of connecting with others. Find out just what Beth decided to do next after the break. So Beth quit the nonprofit jobs and became a freelancer full-time. With her new sense of freedom, she started helping in the ways that came natural to her. She taught English to refugees. It was my first time ever teaching a class. She started to spend time with an elderly neighbor. I think I wanted to connect with her because I realized that a lot of times I saw her alone. She let the cashier at the grocery store know she was grateful. So I decided to get it in my mind that I would give her a thank you card. I went to the Sudanese Center to volunteer. They asked her to do something she knew absolutely nothing about. So I taught this six-month sewing class. She looked up how to sew on YouTube and then taught this guy named Elmi. I frequently say yes to things I have no idea how to do. She was putting herself out there without an official title or the backing of a giant organization. 
Now, you might think after getting to know Beth a little bit that she's fearless, teaching classes she knows nothing about, knocking on strangers' doors, giving old men rides. It's funny that I had so much gumption as a child um, and somewhat as an adult because I'm actually scared of everything. (laughs) I'm always thinking about safety precautions and unimaginable things like getting kidnapped. And this is the tension that's inside of Beth. Despite all of the fear she carries around, when she comes to an opportunity to try to connect or help, she has a motto that she lives by. I'm nervous, but I'll do it. Really, whatever it is. <laughs> um, why? Why will I do it? I have realized that when I go into a situation with I'm nervous, but I'll do it, it's always uncomfortable, or it starts out uncomfortable, but it always ends up in some sort of really rewarding um, connection with another human being or experience. And that's why I continue to push myself, I think. And where have you seen that, like, terribly backfire or go wrong or be, like, a bad experience? I saw this sweet little puppy bobbing down the interstate, and I decided to pull my car over, and I started to call it, and instead of coming to me, it goes straight into traffic and dies in front of my face. And this has happened several times with animals, so... The same scenario? The same scenario. It's terrible. Beth helps animals a lot, but even when people are involved, it can go wrong too. There's this man in our neighborhood who has this pet goat named Zoe, and Zoe is the mascot of our neighborhood. She wears dresses, everyone loves her. It's just the quirkiest thing about our neighborhood, and I love it. One day, Beth heard that Metro Animal Control was going to take the goat away. So she started an online petition to save Zoe. Hundreds of people signed it. And it created a lot of media buzz. And so the news called and said, would you be willing to do an interview about Zoe the goat at the owner's home? I said, sure. But here's the thing. This man also has um, seizures. And so he, he claimed that it was his therapy goat. Also, therapy animal. So the news shows up to his house. Beth's there. People are taking pictures. And the owner is pretty stressed out. Because of this whole whole ordeal about possibly losing his goat and then also getting, like, all this attention put on him, which wasn't really intended. It just happened. So I'm on the news getting interviewed, and all of a sudden, the owner drops to the ground behind me and starts having a seizure. Now, you need to know the owner is okay. And at least something good came out of the situation. Three or four days later, he was issued the first ever Nashville, Tennessee goat permit. You want me to to talk about myself? Well, I mean, in relationship to this story, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, My name is Daniel. I'm Beth's husband. Nailed it. Nailed it. Is there anything as as a husband that you, like, maybe have insight into that nobody else does of like her helpingness I think she has a fear of being perceived as somebody that tries to do too much and worries about how that will make her look to other people like why is she always trying to start things and help people and you know why can't she just 
live her life or whatever. I think that's something that, that we'll talk about a lot. And who cares what other people think? If you're feeling like moved to do something, even if it's small, even if you don't even know what it is yet, just the fact that you want to is is huge. Beth the fence jumper. Whether it goes right or wrong, Beth sees human connection as one of the most precious things. She's willing to jump a fence, push through her fears, do things despite what she worries people might think. I think of myself as a nice person, a good person, but you know, I 90% of the things that like she thinks about or the things that she wants to do or or help or like things like are just I mean not to say that I don't think about them, but I, I never, very rarely take action in the way that someone like her does. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm this, like, I never want to portray myself as this, like, helping machine out in the world. It's more so, like, I have to do this, <laughs> whatever scenario it is, and it's going to be uncomfortable and maybe not perceived well, but... Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis, with production assistance from Bailey Robbins. This episode was edited by Mac Linebaugh and Emily Siner. Music in the story is by Poddington Bear, and this music is by Jason Goforth. If you like the show, let me know. I love to read iTunes reviews, and they're actually helpful to other people too. Neighbors is a member of The Herd, an audio collective of podcast producers. Visit theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Oh, I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. Just don't steal my dog, okay? <laughs> <laughs>